Um, yeah, so um, I've got an interesting question for us to, li- to deliberate on today. Um, and my question is, does our outward appearance reflect our inner reality? Another way to say it is, does our behaviour reflect who we really are? Are you, or am I, the true person that I display? Uh, am, I, am I portraying who I want to be or who I am? It's a good question, isn't it? Well, um, and, 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 and I ask that question in the context of everything that you do, whether it's in the context of raising kids, uh, whether it's in the context of, of work, retirement, whatever you do, um, that's the question. You can just, just let that one mull over in the back of your mind for a bit. Um, while we're um, looking at that, oh, yeah, legend, Romans 10, 1 to 9. Can you slip to the NIV version, please, Ned? Special request. NIV or ESV? ESV. Yeah, no um, Ned, can you read that for us? One to nine? <laughs> Brothers, my... Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. The person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you can just slip that back down to somewhere about verse 1. It's really good. Um, as, as you know, we're working our way through Romans, and um, Romans 9 is, is kind of the Apostles Paul's um, big defence the, about the sovereignty of God, uh, where God chooses who will be saved, where works and pedigree count for nothing, only God's gracious, sovereign choice. And the points are that God's actually free in election. God freely and decisively chooses who will be saved. Works count for nothing, either good works or bad works. Only the free act of God. 
And he explains that not not all Israel will be saved because God has a purpose of election. Even within Israel, he chooses Isaac and not Ishmael, Jacob and not Esau, in order that it might be clear to all that the salvation of anyone is owing to the free and sovereign call of God. Second thing is he is free in justification. God saves by the free offer of Christ's righteousness to those who believe. Works count for nothing, only the free act of God. And when we think about the sovereignty of God, there are lots of emotional mistakes that we might make. Um, And today I just want to briefly mention three. and, And by the way... Please save up all your questions on um, election and God's sovereignty for Derek next week. We're going to have a, like an, in, an interactive sermon next week where you can just shoot. And if you've got one that um, you're wanting to put a little bit of thought in, you might want to text me or him beforehand. Um, and if you're away, just do that as well. Um, I, I've already shot him a few, a, few, a few what I think are you know, big issue ones. Um, But the three that come to mind today um, are that, firstly, the doctrine of God's sovereignty might lead us to feel no sorrow for those who are perishing. Uh, The second thing, it might lead us to feel no desire that they be converted. And thirdly, the doctrine of God's sovereignty might lead us to give up praying that people would be saved. The argument goes something like this. If God predestines everything, then we're just robots or puppets on a string and we have no will of our own, so why worry? Our prayers are are ineffective. That's the argument. God's just going to do what he's going to do anyway. I'm not going to delve deeply into that argument this morning, but... Somehow, Paul understands God's sovereignty differently. He says in Romans 9, 1 to 3, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, my race. Paul is in such sorrow for Israel that if it were possible, he'd swap places with them. He'd give up his own salvation that they might be saved. Paul knows that this is not possible, of course, but it gives us an understanding of where his heart is. His heart and his prayer is adamantly for their salvation. He's not an indifferent bystander here. If the sovereignty of God makes us indifferent, then I think we've misunderstood it. Because that's not what it did to Paul. And in verse 1 today, we see Paul's heart. It says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Paul prays because he knows that a sovereign God has the power to save. He prays even though... Those God saves are 100% God's choice. God involves us in at the very base level of prayer from the heart. 
Paul prays, even though it looks like these people that he's talking about are unsaved hypocrites. Surely God hasn't chosen them. And you know, the beauty of the election of God's people is that for who's in and who's out is totally God's department. In fact, it's none of our business in one sense as to who God has chosen and who he hasn't chosen. Our job is to share the gospel because God has no pleasure of the death of anybody. So I find verses 2 to 4 to be a remarkable piece of scripture. It says, uh, For I can testify about them that they're zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and and sought to establish their own, they didn't submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Paul is praying for their salvation because they're zealous for God. But they've got a false knowledge that will send them to hell. You know that you can be zealous for God and not be a Christian? We need to let that sink in. Pastors can have a zeal for God and yet need salvation. Elders can have a zeal for God and yet need salvation. A zeal for God by itself doesn't signify salvation. That's shocking, isn't it? But don't get me wrong, zeal is a very important part of the makeup of a Christian. Romans 12:11 says, "Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord." If we're saved, there'll definitely be zeal. Revelation says that God spits out the lukewarm. But what is Christian zeal based on? Paul said that their zeal was not based on knowledge, and therefore they were not saved. I'm sure in your life, uh, knowingly or unknowingly, you will come across people who are zealous for the Lord, but not saved. Why? This is such an important question. And the answer is, and we can find it in, in the end of chapter 9 as well, because they sought their own righteousness through works, of, through works and not faith. And they didn't submit to God's righteousness. That means they didn't submit to faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore, they have no righteousness. Their inner reality, just going back to the initial question, will drive their life in many, many fruitless directions. So, to stand before God, you need to be totally, fully, 100% righteous. This means righteousness, it means we need to be justified. There's no such thing as partial righteousness or partially justified. 
The righteousness we need is a mirror image of the glory of God, nothing less. Now, this puts us in a rather delicate situation, doesn't it? Because everyone falls short of God's glory. We are all sinners. Paul himself claimed to be the foremost. This is a debacle. The good news, however, is that Jesus lived the righteous life that we should have. And he died on the cross paying the punishment that we deserved. We receive his righteousness by faith as a gift of God's grace, even though we are sinners. This is the inner reality of a Christian. In this, morning text, in this morning's text, the Jews sought to achieve their righteousness by following God's law. We all make rules. We all have our little laws. Even, even non-Christians have, have laws about morality. Well, if that person does that, then that's good. Or, but they did that, that's bad. Uh, if I speed... Well, I'm driving, that's bad. Or maybe it's okay to speed a bit, or maybe it's okay to speed when no one's around, or you, you get the drift. We, we, we each, we, we can make our own little rules for what's right and what's wrong. Surely, what the Jews did was Right, they actually, I mean, my rules are wavering, you know, I change them. But they're, they're trusting in the unwavering laws of Scripture. Surely that was right. If Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, for believers, it's 100% wrong. I'm told a more literal way of saying verse 4 would be for the goal of the law, that's the, the end goal of the rules in the Bible, is Christ for righteousness to everyone who believes. That's what Paul's saying here this morning. He's saying that the goal of the Ten Commandments is Christ for righteousness. The law was given to us so that we would know what sin is. Romans 7.7 7 tells us that. And it was never for us to achieve righteousness because that was always going to come through faith in Jesus Christ. God settled that before he made the world. So if Jesus is the end of the law, this means that we can't even mix a little bit of obedience with faith to, us, to achieve justification. We can't go to God and say, uh, here's some good deeds and I'm relying on Jesus for the rest. Not even 1% merit and 99% faith. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for those who believe. Not even a zeal to obey the laws of God can ever be submitted as righteousness. This is so important. The only way that we can submit to God's righteousness 
is to receive it by faith. That's what it says for those who believe. The excruciatingly uncomfortable fact is that if you don't believe, then the law still applies to you and you're judged by it. Scripture's really clear about the position of faith and the law. Romans 3, 21 to 22 says, Now righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And then in Philippians 3, verses 8 and 9, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, Paul says, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul is making it abundantly clear that to submit to God's righteousness is not to try harder in obeying the Ten Commandments. It's justification by faith. If you want to try harder to be justified, you've got to obey the whole law. Now, that's what he's saying here in verse 5. It's a quote from Leviticus 18. And then he uses verses 6 to 8 to say that the Jews' scriptures, yes, the Old Testament, points to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul's quote here in verses 6 to 8 is from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 12 to 14. This is where Moses is giving a speech about repentance, forgiveness and life and death just before Israel was to enter the promised land. And in Deuteronomy he says, for this commandment that, and while I'm reading this, just keep an eye on on the quote, how how he just changes it a little bit, right? So, for this commandment that I give you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over to the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you, it is in your mouth and your heart, so that you can do it. You see, where Deuteronomy speaks of commands or the word of God, Paul speaks of Christ. Christ is the word that is near us, in our heart and in our mouth. And John's Gospel says that Jesus is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. He's the one that will be brought to us. We don't have to perform any deed and go and get him. But the word, that's Jesus, is very near you. It, he, is in your mouth and in your heart. That, that Jesus, is the word of faith that we proclaim. The point for us is this morning that God has never changed his requirement for salvation. It was never about works. It was always through God's grace and God's grace alone. Through faith alone, in Christ alone. And I emphasise the faith that we have is not just generic faith. It is faith in Christ alone. 
Don't think we've got a list of things to do to be saved. Oh, I've got to confess with my mouth. I've got, to, I've got to believe with my heart. I've got all these things. We can look in scriptures of lots of different things that it would appear that we have to do to be saved. If this was true, then Paul would be completely con- contradicting himself in chapter 9, where he says, Salvation depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. In our salvation, God performs a work in us by the Holy Spirit that causes us to both believe and confess. Jesus is Lord. When we stand before God, we're vindicated and declared righteous on the grounds of Christ's righteousness alone, not because of a sinner's prayer even. Therefore, our obedience to him is a result of our justification, not the means of getting it. So when I was writing this sermon, I I, I began uh, on Friday down in Brizzy and I asked Sal a question. I said, what are some things that we do, even as a Christian, that kind of indicates that we forget that Christ is our justification? Sing them out. out. What What are ways we act that we think, that we forget that Christ is our justification? The works we try to do? Yeah, yeah. So therefore we shouldn't do the works? No, 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 no. We're doing these works, what Lou's saying, with the intent of making ourselves look good before God. We're trying to justify ourselves before God. Okay? Previous sentence, our obedience, yeah, no, that's, that's the works, is a result of our justification, not a means of getting to it. Okay, so she said, for one, keeping up appearances. Right? Um, I, I, I can pick on women because they're not men, you know? Like, you know, women have got these appearances that... Do the hair and makeup on and everything. Men don't do that. What do we do? We, we act all tough. <laughs> you can't get near. We're, we're all tough. We put, this, we put these appearances, don't we? We all, we all do this. <clears throat> um, and a, a Christian lady that I really appreciate in St George one day really understood grace and she said, you know... For years I've been, I've been taking my kids to church. I've been, I've been, I get this picture-perfect family. You know, the, you know the one, like the two dogs, the manicured lawn, the whole, the whole bit, you know. These, this family comes to church. It's perfect. It doesn't fight. It, they, don't, they don't muck up. The, it's just, I've been like this juggler. I've got like a thousand balls that I'm trying to juggle and... And, I gotta, and when I drop one, I've got to kind of hide it because I don't want anyone to see that I'm trying to look good before God to earn righteousness. <clears throat> Hopefully that triggers and opens a little picture of some of the things that we inadvertently do to earn God's approval. 
and also others' approval. Because if, if, we're, if we're looking for approval for someone at, through someone else, we certainly don't know that we have God's approval, do we? God's a higher authority. If we're looking for approval to our neighbour, we, we forgot that we're fully justified in Christ. But how freeing, how freeing for my friend was it when she settled it once and for all that she actually is a filthy sinner. Bigger. Bigger than we'll ever know. But the blood of Christ washes me and continues to wash me so that we're whiter than snow. Forgiven even for not being that fantastic mum or dad, for not having that family altogether. Um, we all have regrets, don't we? Uh, especially when it comes to bringing up our children. Um, the day... The day that I realised... Um, that my, my, one of my teenage sons came home and he said he'd been to a uh, Christian camp or he'd been to something and, and he said, I've just realised that Christianity is all about God's grace and not about keeping the rules. I'm like, oh, what house have you been living in? <laughs> like, Oh, what's going on? Um, it, was a, it was a shock to me. It was a real shock. I know I told him about grace many times, but somehow, tragically, I hadn't. Somehow, what I really believed hadn't come out. <clears throat> so, hence my question this morning. Do we reflect the inner reality of grace to our kids or to our grandchildren, to our neighbours, to our workers. You know, um, some kids do things wrong sometimes. Um, I was talking to Derek about this a couple of days ago and he's actually calculated the number of smacks that he's given each of his kids over the years and, and it's in the thousands. Um, yeah. Uh, it occurred to me that these are all opportunities um, to explain the grace of God. Not necessarily right there and then. Often we inadvertently use these opportunities to explain God's moral law or maybe our, our moral law that we've established, what we were talking about before. So here's the question. How do we portray grace? How do we do that? <laughs> okay. Do we just let them go? No, we've got to discipline them. No, discipline them. Why? They're not going to learn, sure. Well, is they're going to believe that the wrong things that they're doing are acceptable to other people? They're going to think that sin's good. Ah. Yeah. Oh. 
Where were you blokes when I was writing this yesterday? Yeah. Okay. What else? What else did they learn from discipline? That we love them? Yeah. Yep. It's it's a a hard one. I really love you boys. As I'm smacking them. Yeah, I was thinking that our parenting is a reflection of God's parenting of us, right? And so they're learning to actually fully trust us in what we say. Like what we are still learning (laughs) and God's doing these little ones, little guidance here and there as we go through life. Are fully trusting him. Yeah. Okay, so so we're not letting them run wild. Okay, how are we explaining grace? Don't just leave them to rot like a prisoner in the cell. You have to <laughs> their love. Yep. And you express to them that although they're sinful, yep. God is always there in his arms open all the time. Yep, yep. Yep, yep. I I remember smacking one of my children, and as they were crying, they 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 ran off. It is a really good moment. They they ran off. They're still crying, and then they like, and then they ran back for a hug. <laughs> and, and 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 I kind of almost had this like. Well, hang on a sec. You haven't suffered enough yet. <laughs> but, but, I, but I did. And I gave him a hug. And it was a magical moment that, that in the midst of discipline, there was love. Yeah. Mm. And, and that was actually kind of understood. Yeah. Um, so do we ever sin? <laughs> Is it a, can we share that with our kids? You know what? Because up until I was, I don't know, you know how it goes. Like, like until you're 10 or 12, your mum and dad don't sin, right? They're perfect, right? <laughs> Somehow through that teenage years, they kind of get a bit wonky. <laughs> and then by the time you're 17 or 18, there's pretty much not rice righteousness in them at all, actually. <laughs> and, then, and then when you get a bit older, you actually realise, no, that's different. It's, um, but... Um, maybe there are times to, to, to sit down and say, you know, mum and dad actually sin too. And you know what? Our righteousness can only come through faith in Jesus. When it comes to parenting... I have more questions than answers, and and um, I hope that this morning maybe um, this this bit of a conversation um, will begin a thought process for us, um, n- not just for kids but for everyone really that we bump into in life, is to how does my life reflect grace. And not works because we see from the scriptures here this morning how adamant Paul is 
The law is done with for righteousness. It is Christ and Christ only for those who believe. Uh, my theoretical answer, my theoretical answer is we walk in his grace. We accept it every day. And we pray and we repent with our kids. How that pans out is hard. Um, this morning, um, we're going to move into a time of communion. And um, I want us to remember that Jesus died for the, sin of, the sins of our hypocrisy. He died for the sins of us not being true to our faith. He died for our regrets. He died for the things that you didn't do for your kids that you wanted to do. The missed opportunities. The times... He died for the times when you preach law and not grace. He died for everything that you find shameful and everything that you could re- wish you could rewind and do over in your life. He has justified you in all those things through his death on the cross. Can you feel how powerful his grace is? I'm going to read from um, 1 Corinthians 11:23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given you thanks, he broke it and and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he's come, until he comes.